I call upon the youth of the world to assemble four years from now in Atlanta, United States of America. The city of Atlanta was set to host the 1996 Summer Olympics, and they had to get ready. The city decided once we were granted that opportunity that we're going to beautify Atlanta, we're going to re tear down old projects and build new apartments and just make all these different parks and all the different things. This is a familiar story. We experienced something similar when Detroit hosted the Super Bowl back in 2006. The city administration thinks folks from all over the world are about to show up. We've got to be ready. And what happened was Atlanta created a homeless population. We had one, but it wasn't so visible. It, I mean, you really had to look to see if a person was homeless. This is Marilyn Wynn. She runs Women on the Rise, a grassroots organization led by women targeted and or impacted by the criminal punishment system. The city of Atlanta has always been a city with broken window policing. And I'm from incarcerated, so I was part of its broken window-ness. Marilyn is part of a coalition of activists working to close the Atlanta jail that was built just before the 1996 Olympics. This is one of many campaigns across the country to close jails or block new jails. They're happening in cities including St. Louis, Philadelphia, Baton Rouge, New York, Milwaukee, LA, Seattle, and more. What makes the fight in Atlanta special is that they've not only worked to shut down the Atlanta City Jail, but they're also showing us what we could build instead. But back in the mid-1990s, the city was intent on locking up poor people. We had a jail but they built the extra jail to hide the homeless population from the people coming to visit the Olympics. Majority of the people were there for nonviolent offenses. They were there for traffic violations, simple shoplifting, jaywalking, spitting on the sidewalk. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the opening ceremony of the games of the 26th Olympiad, the Centennial Olympic Games. I'm Amanda Alexander, Executive Director of the Detroit Justice Center. And I'm Casey Rashito, Communications Manager at DJC. Today on Freedom Dreams, what's it going to take to close the Atlanta City Detention Center and build something beautiful in its place? Maybe even a center for wellness and freedom. Hey! We are joined today by two incredibly creative and powerful women from the ATL. Sochal Bavera, who served as director of the Racial Justice Action Center until 2020, and Marilyn Wynn, who you heard earlier. And now it's time for our first ever Freedom Dreams History Minute. Take us there, Casey. <laughs> when I was thinking about the history behind this episode and why people felt super comfortable just sweeping people off the streets and putting them into a jail, it led me back to a historical context where that's centuries old, really. It's this idea of creating a problem and then using it as justification to criminalize people. Whether that's, you know, the commons in Europe in the 1730s where they're clearing out unlanded peasantry and telling them that the land that they're holding in common with each other is actually now uh, belongs to the landed gentry to what happens in the South during Reconstruction with the Black Codes, right? So 
It's this move to create a system where people are disenfranchised and impoverished. And then you tell them that they are criminal for being these things that you say they are. And then here, they're using it as a justification to then put all of those folks into the city jail. Casey, you're right to take us back to the black codes and convict leasing and the ways that the law has long criminalized black people and poor people and their movement um, up to more recent examples like broken windows policing. Broken windows essentially um, created this revolving door of unhoused people who were picked up by police on uh, what were essentially crimes of poverty. And they would cycle through the court system, into jails, and then back out on the streets. Um, So a recent study in New York City found that of the 800 people who spent the most time cycling through the city's jails, more than half of them were unhoused. And the top charges for why they were in the jail um, were essentially crimes of poverty. So things like petty larceny, trespassing, drug possession. And over that time, um, the city spent... $30,000 per person, jailing those 800 people, $30,000 per person. And of course, we know that supportive housing would be less costly than that. So, you know, essentially, this is a way of continuing to address um, problems of homelessness by criminalizing poverty, locking people up, um, having jail populations explode. So the jail population has tripled over the past three decades. And that brings us up to today, where, you know, folks in Atlanta and other cities are saying that people are in jail for underlying problems of poverty, of lack of housing, of substance use issues, of mental health issues. And so the thing to do is not to further police and cage people, but instead to address those underlying issues. And that's what folks in Atlanta and elsewhere are doing. And now we are so honored to welcome Marilyn Wynn and Social Brevera to Freedom Dreams. It was scary to start talking about closing the jail. I mean, that was a whole, you know, there's a, there, the man who, the ch- head of our Atlanta Department of Corrections, the chief jailer of that jail is a much beloved and very, um, he's now the sheriff of Fulton County. And he, um, you know, he used to put his, he puts inmates, as he calls them, out into the world to clean up garbage. He, so he engages in comic leasing. He is built, he's an empire builder. So he built that jail and then brought in more resources to do more programs because people who are jaywalking really need a program, right? And there should be re-entry for people who are, have done two weeks. I mean, it was that kind of creating of a story of what a great place this is. And um, the city council would get their reports from the Department of Corrections and you know, applaud at how many bags of garbage they had prisoners picking up um, from their districts. And so we knew it was formidable. It was $32.5 million a year spent on that jail that was came out of our general fund and hundreds and hundreds of employees. And um, so we knew it was a battle. So that was definitely why, you know, thinking of strategy, why we had to start starving the beast and pick away at these different things and bring down the population so that some of the different, um, just so we could highlight, you know, what's really going on there, what it costs, et cetera. 
So, so chill. it's really uh, powerful what you're saying here. Like it wasn't just the empire that was built, but the story around it too. And so while you're starving the beast and getting people out, um, you're also needing to combat that story, right? And so what was that about? Like, like, how did you all work on some of the narrative shifting too? We started to um, get the real stats. The most important thing to me was to let the public know, getting the community engaged in it, giving them the, feeding them information. Did you know this? Do you know this? And all of that kind of stuff that kind of brought them along with us. Oh, no, we didn't know our money was going there. We didn't know that uh, they was using people to clean up yard. We didn't know that people were going out working on the side of the road from the jail. And all of that is convict leasing. And so they didn't, people really didn't know and people really didn't like it. And they didn't understand until we got involved and start talking about closing the jail and working on different ordinances, what was really happening in the jail. Cause a lot of people actually thought that they didn't know what was in the jail. They thought people, the first thing they said, well, what you gonna do with the criminals? It's not criminals there. It's only people there who have violated a city ordinance or people who are too poor to buy a tag decal, or uh, somebody might not have renewed their license, even a broken taillight. You can drive through anywhere and don't know you got a broken taillight. But if you're in one of them low-income neighborhoods, you're going to jail because they have the discretion to arrest you or not to arrest you. So getting the information out to the community as to really what's happening, who's really sitting in that jail, let them know that any given time, how many times you don't walk across a red light because you don't want to stand there? How many times you don't spit on the ground? How, you know, these things. And actually, I think in one of the meetings in city council, one of the, who is now the president of city council, she was asking the same chief of police. So are you telling me I could go to jail for spitting on the side, jaywalking? Was it jaywalking, she said? Mm-hmm. I think jaywalking. One of them, she said, are you really telling me I could go to jail for jaywalking? He said, yes. She said, oh my God. Mm. So a lot of people don't know. So a lot of people got caught up in that. And so just to educate the community, which brought them in as well, because a lot of them were now having to take care of people that have been in jail for broken taillight, been in jail for suspended license or not having the proper decal. So now that brought something to their memory. Oh, so my brother was there. So that's the reason my brother can't get no job. This is the reason he can't get nowhere to live is because of those type things. So I think the, big, the biggest piece for me was to bring the education from what's happening in the jail to the community to let them know what's there instead of assuming that what is there. According to the Community Over Cages campaign, the Atlanta City Detention Center was built for over 1,100 beds. But because of some super effective reforms that activists fought for, like ending cash bail, reclassifying marijuana charges, breaking the city's contract with ICE, creating a pretrial diversion program, the jail population is now down to just a few dozen people. And I think is is I think it's exactly exactly the strategy that we had. And then we also had, you know, it's just that thing of having people speak directly to their experiences. So there's I mean, Women on the Rise is a is a membership based organization of of women, some of whom been inside ACDC, some of whom, like Ms. Marilyn said, have, you know, had to bail folks out or had to, you know, have people house people and feed people while they're trying to get a job and get housing because, you know, they got arrested and spent two weeks inside for having a tiny amount of marijuana on them and now they lost their job Mm -hmm. and now they lost their housing and just even being able to 
say and he have people speak for their own experience because the truth is that that chief of department of corrections used to go into city hall and spin tales about who was in there and how much they loved it i mean people according to him people think it's like a hotel stay you know I mean, <laughs> it's the best place where they can get help and so to have the direct voices and on on the immigrant side as well our our um in we have an alliance um of oh, close to 50 organizations that have been part of this fight this campaign since it launched in 2018 and um, the our partners who focus on immigrant justice work so the Georgia Latino Alliance for Human Rights and Project South and they did a whole report that was all voices of folks detained inside talking about conditions talking about the sort of forced labor um, aspect and um, and and just getting those stories and those voices those that truth out there along with, um, like Ms. Marilyn saying, just the basic facts that get so spun mm -hmm. and so twisted was, was really critical. So Sochal, you started to talk about the uh, coalition that you all have built. That is just, I mean, it's such a, a, a dreamy thing. I know a lot of us in different places talk about like, can you like, can we connect all the dots in a really consistent way? Um, because, you know, those conversations come up in meetings all the time, you know, of people saying, well, um, if we, you know, get the jail shut down, let's make sure they don't reopen it as an ICE detention center. Or, you know, like people are, are bringing that, you know, the, those insights together all the time, but it doesn't always become a coalition, you know, that actually leads to these types of victories. So can you talk about how you guys turn those, you know, like, like shared insights and shared connections into a coalition that's moving work forward together? Yeah. Yeah, because um, it was such an it's such an essential thing, and it is such a challenging thing, right? It's sort of the the core of everything, and in, in terms of our movement and 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 where we're headed toward abolition, and whether we can come together. Um, and I'll just say, I think for us, it really started because the Racial Justice Action Center, when we started as kind of an experiment, one of the main tenants that we were experimenting with was how much can we build across community. So bring folks together um, who maybe speak different languages, who are from different communities, who have, you know, who have been incarcerated, who haven't been incarcerated, who are queer and trans and cis and straight, and, you know, all of the, all of the um, different ways, especially where folks are impacted by criminalization, but we often don't really work um, mm -hmm. closely together. And so it was kind of a, a, a really important part of, you know, what we called mm. the Blue House experiment. The Blue House is where we all, all of our organizations um, came to be, came to have office space and mm. shared space. And, um, and we started to do a lot of just like work together, trust building and, um, you know, doing, engaging in somatics, embodied leadership, um, connecting with one another, because if you don't have relationships and you don't have trust, then you, it's very hard to build politically. It sounds like putting together the team, like the Lord of the Rings team or the Avengers or something, where you get like one person on their whole crew flies in. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> it does feel like that. So when we call for uh, our alliance members to come, it's almost not those 50, but it might be a thousand folks mm -hmm. coming. Because mm -hmm. all of them have, you know, members and uh, staff and everything else who participates. After a break, we're going to hear how the folks in Atlanta started to imagine what they could build in place of the city jail, now that they'd all but emptied it. Hello, I'm Nancy A. Parker, and I'm a staff attorney in the Detroit Justice Center's Legal Services and Advocacy Practice. 
The reason I became a lawyer was to combat injustice and stand up for the most marginalized people in our society. And at DJC, I'm able to do that by directly representing clients and advocating policy changes that break apart the foundations of systemic oppression. As a movement lawyer, I take my lead from activists and community members who are directly impacted by the criminal punishment system. If you want to support our work, you should donate at DetroitJustice.org slash donate. And now back to our interview with Marilyn and Sochal. So then the idea came about, right, to not just shut it down, not just starve the beast, but to build something else. Um, Ms. Marilyn, can you tell us about how that came about? Yeah, you know, we we out at um, Racial Justice Action Center, Women on the Rise and Solution Not Punishment, we always feel that we don't win something by just ending something. Uh, and then there's a big building there. So if you don't put something in the place of the win, then it can always be turned back to what it, you know, what we were fighting mm-hmm. against. So um, I know from being formerly incarcerated, there are many barriers that we face and there's many uh, opportunities that we don't get the opportunity to uh, uh, engage in. So I thought, at least we together thought about a center for wellness and equity and freedom. We want somebody to have, we, we said wellness and freedom. Actually, the mayor put the equity part in there. Um, we said wellness because we want people to have wellness, be able to go to one spot and get everything they need. And Because sometimes when uh, a person has been faced so many barriers and uh, you, they may come in and say, well, I want a modern card. Okay, we don't have it here. Go cross over town to do this and that and the other. Mm-hmm. They never make it cross town. Mm-hmm. So if we can have everything in one building, just go up to another floor, you don't ever have to leave. And so that would be that, that wellness and freedom center. And you're free to come in and get whatever you need. And uh, so it was just, I just felt like we could use that. We just felt like we could use that space for um, a space for that wellness and freedom for folks that have been impacted by the system. They can come in that same spot. You don't have to look for the spot because you know where it is. It's just going to be another big, beautiful, free building with windows and gyms and stores and place where you people can come and just sit down, childcare, temporary housing, all of those things, education, employment, development, healthcare, anything that a person may need, they can come in there and get that service in that same, in a central location downtown. Marilyn, how would you want people to feel when they walk in to the center? I would like for them to feel welcome. I don't, it don't, you don't have to dress up to come here. And y'all about to make me cry. You don't have to dress up. You can just walk in and be free to get what you need without having to have handcuffs on. I'll be thrown in a cage because I have mental problems or I'm illiterate or whatever I am, I don't have to be looked down on. I'm welcome to this place. Thank yeah. you. Oh, you said it all. It's a beautiful, beautiful thought. <laughs> and you're making it real. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every time I think about it and the things that we're going through right now, um, it, it just makes me want to cry. I, I mean, I'm happy on one end and I'm angry on the other. I'm not sad. I'm angry on the other because... Uh, the pushback and the things that we're going through right now. 
And uh, but it's still gonna happen. Not walking mm-hmm. away from this fight. We're gonna fight this to the bit end. Yeah. Always our last question on the podcast. So it's called Freedom Dreams. So what we want to know is what are your freedom dreams for your work? You know, like what, you know, 50 years from now is the legacy that you hope to leave behind with what you're doing now? I think my freedom dream would be a a world without police where people are actually free and uncaged and have things they need, the essential things that that they need, which is a human right for us. That, that would be my freedom dream. I, I like that dream. Um, and I think if I, if I, you know, just building on it, it's like you said, 50 years and sort of legacy and stuff. It's for me, I, I definitely feel like there is a different Atlanta that's possible. And it requires both different policies and different choices around the use of resources and divesting from criminal justice and investing in all kinds of other things. But it also is about our communities and continuing to build and strengthen the the solidarity and the unity. We live in such strange times and I feel like coronavirus has helped highlight that for so many people. But so strange how kind of out of right relationship we are to oftentimes to each other and then to the other living elements of the earth we live on. And I I have a dream of 50 years from now because of all these shifts that there's also a different relationship to those things and where Ms. Marilyn also gets to retire and doesn't have to work and you know past when she's exhausted and where all of us aren't trading our health to stay in you know this struggle for justice and where there's um, just some of the basics, you know, you know, care for our elders and um, healthy foods and all of the things that actually human beings thrive off of. That's our conversation with Atlanta organizers who work to empty their city jail and imagine what could be built instead with the tens of millions of dollars that have been going towards locking people up. It shows the power of fierce organizing And it's a freedom dream that people across the world can learn from. When we talk about abolition, there's this idea from people who don't identify as abolitionists that we're sort of talking about this utopian goal, right, of untested ideas, uncharted waters. And that can be really scary, right? And so for me, the the key to this episode or why this episode is important to us is to acknowledge, like, abolitionist exercises are happening in practice every day and we're just trying to showcase the fact that like this is happening in atlanta here's what it takes to do this in your own community it is possible it's not actually pie in the sky and it does not lead to this crazy surge and like you know rampant murders when you do this kind of thing yeah i think for me it's really about um showing the fact that organizers are making this change happen um, right now. Just like you're saying, Casey, like this isn't an out there untested thing. I think the other important aspect is that what the Atlanta organizers are showing us is that it's not just about tearing something down. You know, emptying the jail wasn't enough. Shutting the jail won't be enough. It's also about what we're building up instead um, in order to undo some of the harms of mass incarceration and build the communities that we need. 
So I think it's the fact that these organizers are offering us this affirmative vision of the world that we could be building, of the types of cities that we could be building um, that go far beyond just reforms or tearing things down. Um, and that's, to me, one of the most important parts of this example. Freedom Dreams is a production of the Detroit Justice Center. Special thanks to our team, Zach Rosen, our producer, as well as L'Oreal West and Ilana Malul for research and assistance. The Freedom Dreams theme song is by Asante. Artwork is by Gunnar and Hobbs. If you want to learn more about today's episode, head to freedomdreamspodcast.com. We would love to hear your freedom dream. Email us a voice memo at freedomdreams at detroitjustice.org. You can also write to us on social media. We're Freedom Dreams Pod on IG and Freedom Dream Pod on Twitter. One singular dream on Twitter. If you feel compelled to donate to the work that we do, you can find us at DetroitJustice.org slash donate. And lastly, if you love this show and want us to find a wider audience, please leave us a rating or review at Apple Podcasts. 